Welcome to the Decent Crypto Podcast. Today is Tuesday, August 9th. We are live with part three of our Merge Deep Dive. I can guarantee you folks that nobody is coming to you with more Merge content than the Decent Crypto Podcast. I don't know, Matt, what do you think? Are we going to hit 10 hours of Merge content before the Merge happens? I mean, look, there's, you know, what, five, six weeks left before the merge happens and we're going to do, we're going to do an episode on the merge. We're doing an audio book on the merge. This is a merge podcast. This is a merge (laughs) book where, you know, we are the merge. Yeah. Uh, Take that, Laura Shin. (laughs) We wrote this book first. (laughs) Dude, you thought the Beckers guys like talking about the merge? We're going to, we're going to show them who, who really loves this merge content. And, um, and boy, our listeners today, the thing is we talk about the merge content that the people don't want us to talk about, right? (laughs) We're not here saying, Oh, the merge is going to be great. The merge is going to be the greatest thing of all time. The triple happening, you know, ETH to 10 K tomorrow. ESG. This is not what we're here about. (laughs) We're here to ask the hard questions. This is not an ESG podcast. No, this is definitely not an ESG podcast. (laughs) Um, well, we're here to ask the questions that are not being asked, except by just a very you know small minority of people who are trying to figure out how this is going to play out. And the fundamental, I guess, premise of why we're asking these questions is that crypto is a adversarial market and an adversarial environment to be participating in, right? So... These people that say that Ethereum is going to go through this merge successfully without any kind of hiccup, without any kind of contention, without any kind of blowback or pushback from a party that doesn't want the merge to go the way that it's set to go by the Ethereum Foundation right now, that's just a naive way to look at things, right? If you look at the history of crypto right like let alone history uh, you know the history of money the history of software networks things like that right like forking forking software right is a very common practice in in software development right like there's many versions of the same kind of software running out in the world outside of crypto right like if you look at github if you look at uh like versions of software i'm not even a developer but you but this is just a general practice right like people have different versions of software running at different times and and you're free to do that if it's open source software right so with the merge it's fully fully realistic and i think pertinent like just very important to recognize that this is going to be a contentious thing right uh, there's a ton of vested interest and a ton of money from people that have bought miners that have kept the network running, frankly, that have provided the security for everybody, us, to be able to use Ethereum that have been the backbone of the network for the past, uh, since 2015, seven years. And those people are now being shoved out, right? And being made or being told that you know the value or the service that you've been providing is no longer needed thank you 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 can see yourself out now right so that if you tell anybody that in an objective circumstance they might not take well to it they might but they also might not so the reason that we're laying all this out putting so much time into this is that this is an important thing that's happening there's so far it seems a social consensus around how it's going to play out 
but we don't know that. We don't actually know that that's what's going to happen, right? Like this happened with Bitcoin, with SegWit, with uh, there's a whole book now, right? It's called The Block Size Wars about people arguing about how Bitcoin should uh, operate the actual size of each block in the Bitcoin blockchain, what that should be, right? You can kind of compare that to the merge in a sense, right? So that's why we're spending so much time on it is because we expect it to be a little bit more contentious than everybody says. It's going to take maybe a little bit more, uh, you know, coordination to figure out all the kinks, but we need to talk about it. And that's why we're ta talking about it. That's my rant, Matt. I, I really appreciated your rant here. And I think, um, thank you, you know, just to like, I'll be here all night. Like, <laughs> he, he will um, uh, just to recap where we are right now right so the first merge pod the first merge deep dive we sort of looked into the mechanics of the merge and how the uh like the broader majority of people are expecting it to play out right um and then we sort of hypothesized what we thought was going to happen right mm -hmm. uh which is that like it was going to be contentious Miners were going to fork the blockchain. There's no reason they wouldn't, right? Like the, the thing is that they're being told, thank you, your services are no longer needed, step aside. But they're being told this by people that actually don't have power to do that, right? Like uh, like the miners can do whatever the fuck they want, right? Like they can keep mining who, blocks. Um, who are they being told this by, would you say? Uh, like I, the I guess the Ethereum Foundation, right? yeah, yeah, the Ethereum Foundation is really like the 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 broader. I mean, look, it's it's a social consensus, like everything in crypto, right? So the Ethereum Foundation now also has the backing of you know mining, like you know staking pool operators like Coinbase and Kraken, right? And mm -hmm. the there's an enormous amount of power that gets accrued to the parties that facilitate crypto fiat transactions because everything is still a theoretical, uh, like everything's still theoretical until you can exchange it for fiat, right? Or until you can exchange it for a good or service, which generally- For the thing that you actually want, fiat, yeah. Right, it requires, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. And so, you know, there's a huge amount of power behind like ETH proof of stake becoming the dominant network. And I don't think we're like really arguing that that's not gonna happen. But I think that people that live in the normie crypto world would like pe people that brought like sort of pay attention to this thing don't have anywhere close to a thought in their head about proof of work ethereum happening or they didn't for a while uh yeah. and that sort of changed over the last few weeks right so merge mm -hmm. deep dive part two uh explains like a little bit of like how that came to be uh and a little bit about sort of the you know the, the broader acceptance that yes in fact like the the proof of work miners will continue to mine a proof of work version of ethereum that mm -hmm. forks off of the the prior chain and yeah. you know we laid out like a few of the reasons why there's value there there's a lot more contracts like uniswap v2 works really well you don't really yeah. need uniswap v3 or v4 i mean v3 works fine too uh like you don't really need like on ethereum classic you don't have uniswap v1 right you definitely don't have v2 yeah. or v3 here let's so. let's get a let's get the listeners up to speed here i can give a little recap of part one and part two uh yeah. you can you can probably bring the mic just a little closer too uh if you want um so oh, with I part will. one <laughs> so with part one right with part one of the merge we basically explained uh what exactly the merge is proof of work ethereum 
been running seven years, moving to proof of stake. You don't require these hardware resources anymore with GPUs, moving to a model where you put up economic resources in the actual stake in the uh, asset native to the network. And that's what provides security for the network, right? That was part one. And we'll link all the stuff. You can find our deep dives. We've already done three hours of merge content. Part two, <clears throat> part two, we explained what happens with proof of stake, how that transition will happen, but also what's going to happen with the proof of work chain that's running right now, right? So the miners that are putting in the security that are, you know, using their hardware to run the Ethereum software and to validate these transactions to come to a consensus, what are they going to do? Right. What are some of the implications for the parties that are interacting with that network that are interacting with the upcoming, you know, the new network? What have been the reactions from different parties so far? Right. We mentioned that Vitalik has basically said that if you want a proof of work version of Ethereum, you should use Ethereum Classic. That's a whole different thing. We explained what that is. Right. So kind of explaining the two different parties where everybody stands right now um and laying the groundwork for like what we expect to be a pretty contentious coming two months or three months or four months and uh six it's it, six weeks well six weeks at least right but it's probably not going to be resolved right after that and actually that's what we're going to talk about we're going to talk about what happens on the very first block of the proof of stake chain um so that's where we're at now like that's what we want to talk about today basically what happens when we get to block number one of the kind of previous beacon chain, now ETH2 chain, or just Ethereum from now till forever. What happens there? What happens on block one? What happens to all the applications that are running on Ethereum and specifically the DeFi applications? So we're going to run through a lot of the DeFi applications that are already running now. Um, <clears throat> some of the news that we've seen with mostly with stable coins, with some of the exchanges and how they plan to respond and then run through scenarios for each of these things. So with DeFi, with uh, with stable coins, with layer twos, with uh, you know things like Uniswap, with NFTs, and uh, kind of highlight a few different situations and how we think this might play out. You know, nobody actually knows how it's going to play out. This is just this is just my opinion here, man. Not um, financial advice. Definitely not <laughs> financial advice. Um, so, all right, Matt. Um, let's go. Uh, Where do you want to start? Let's start just real quick with uh, with well, like one major piece of news that happened since our last podcast, which is that Poloniex listed perps for ETH proof of work, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so and it's briefly about... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we briefly touched on this on the last episode, but for anybody who didn't tune in, it's it's now trading live on Poloniex as a, you know, it's trading against ETH. So yep. as a basically uh, so it's you an can ETH, ETH W for proof of work ETH uh, ETH pair, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so the the question is like, what percent of the value of ETH will ETH W have? Uh, and mm -hmm. it sort of fluctuated a bit, but uh, right now it's trading at about 0 0.05. Mm -hmm. So that's basically Google saying goes... that the ETH ETH proof of work chain is worth about five percent of the total value of the ETH proof of stake chain. Or what's expected yeah, to or be the, 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 the native asset, chain. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Proof of stake or, ETH or, is going to be, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. It's it's really funny because 
Um, you, you've pointed this out to me a few times, just the fact that, you know, anybody who's buying this asset or just like anybody who's trading this asset, you're basically trading something that doesn't exist yet. Right. And so when you make that trade, the ETH W versus ETH trade, you're actually trading the thing that exists now. Right. Because, because ETH W is actually, it's just ETH. It's the, like, that's the one that is in circulation in existence right now versus ETH, which is actually the future asset. Like that is the one that doesn't exist in the pair that you're trading, right? You know, it's um, like kind of this kind weird kind thing. Of, right? Uh, because I think, well, I think you can make the opposite case here, which is that uh, if you have ETH on a centralized exchange today, uh, the one from today, uh, you will be able to send that to yourself on the proof of stake chain after the merge. Right, but it's not guaranteed really that like say I have my ETH on Coinbase right now, like they're gonna they're gonna let me send that to myself to the proof of stake chain, not necessarily to the, to the proof of work chain after the merge. Okay, I see um, what you mean. So I mean and you know, like this is like the classical philosophical question of like if you replace one part, you know, if you place a you know, a boat one plank at a time or whatever, right? Like is it the same boat? Um, but uh it's just kind of wild to me that you can trade <laughs> Uh, an asset that fully doesn't exist yet, right? Like, what is ETHW? It's the, you know, how would you define that, right? Someday it will be the canonical proof of work based fork off of Ethereum when Ethereum generates a proof of stake fork as well. And it's like, what? <laughs> like, what if there's two? <laughs> like, what is ETHW? Like, it actually is a thing that doesn't exist, right? It, it's, which, like, yeah, all of this is social consensus, right? But, like, you can send Bitcoin. You can't send ETHW, right? Um, yeah. I, I don't know. Um, anyway, yeah. no, uh, it's. I, I think the way we should structure the rest of the conversation is around the first block, really. And like, let's take like a few scenarios of like places where you might be before the first block. Um, we'll call this like block minus one, right? And then like at block zero, the first block mm -hmm. of, uh, of like post fork, right? Or post merge, whatever terminology you want to mm -hmm. use. Like what happens to you if you were in that scenario on the proof of stake chain and on the yeah. proof of work chain? Yeah, um, yeah. And, and to frame that, right? Now it's at the point where the major stakeholders in the, in the ecosystem have accepted that there will be two different chains at the time of the fork, right? It, it is going to be a fork. The ETH proof of work chain will continue to exist. People were going to continue to mine that. Some of the miners might also move to Ethereum Classic and, and mine that chain. But there will be an ETH W chain and there's already a perpetual future listed for that. That will probably have a spot trading venue, um, you know, in conjunction. So that's the first thing. People have accepted that. Right. So that's like a base reality that we're working off of now. And so now our question is when the first block is produced, how does that happen? Like what happens really? Um, when I asked that question and I just put that out, I literally have no, like, I have no idea. Um, I, I, you know, I don't know what happens before. I don't know what happens after. I don't know what <laughs> I should do with my assets. I, as a person who's firmly on the left side of the curve, the first thing that I think is just, hey, man, just buy ETH right before. Take the airdrop because there will be a fork. 
and uh, just hold it, you know, and like also make sure you don't hold whoa, it. Whoa, on... whoa, you're you're really far left. Hold it. You're supposed to sell every airdrop. <laughs> oh no no no! I don't mean that. I mean like hold it through the actual fork, right? Right. Hold it through the fork. Hold it until you have liquidity to sell it. Yeah, and you, you definitely sell every airdrop. This is definitely not financial advice, but you sell every airdrop, like not financial advice at all. But like you have to sell the airdrop anytime it comes to you. Just look historically, Uniswap airdrop, ENS airdrop. This is the last couple that was like given to everybody. But like, you know, not financial advice, but like sell the airdrop. Um, SOS looks. So, <laughs> yeah, literally every single one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Optimism. Yeah, definitely not financial <laughs> advice. Yeah. Um, so not financial advice, but sell. <laughs> sell, sell the airdrop. Um, yeah. So okay, like that's, um, let yeah, like the the base the baseline thing that happens, right? Let's let's rewind a little bit and remember sort of exactly mechanically how the merge works. What is a blockchain, Today you, Matt? <laughs> a decentralized peer-to-peer cash <laughs> we're gonna we're just gonna read the bitcoin white paper we're gonna get so what if like every podcast like 30 minutes in we just start reading the bitcoin white paper to see Dude, if anyone actually great... finishes the episode <laughs> that's a great idea actually we should do we should have a segment called monday readings it's a completely oh. original segment that i just came up with uh, nobody's ever done that before, <laughs> definitely ever. Uh, we just read stuff. We just read white papers. I think that'd be great. Yeah. Uh, what if every t- every time it's my turn, I just read the Bitcoin white paper? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's like so. Uh, yeah. Okay. We, look, why uh, is so why is Matt on DeFi kingdoms again? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Oh. So, okay. so the the Bitcoin white paper, so so the merge, the merge is <laughs> the merge works, <laughs> the merge works like this. Oh man, we have a we have the beacon chain. It handles like the metadata. It handles who gets to make block n, block n plus one, blah blah blah. There's like a pseudo random thing. It handles things like who gets to make the block, who gets to vote on the that box, like attest to that box validity, uh, and you know, like when does the next block happen, block times, all of that, right? All of that metadata of like who is staking, how much are they staking, what are they staking rewards, right? All of that is handled by the beacon chain. The beacon chain also has a spot like in each like beacon block for an Ethereum block. Uh, they'd call it a slot, but whatever, right? So that block to date has remained empty. Okay. Because okay. or that that part of the block has remained empty. It's sitting there waiting to be used for Ethereum blocks, but like you know, the beacon chain isn't producing Ethereum box yet. So it's just kind of sitting there empty, unused for now. What is it waiting for? Is it waiting for a very specific trigger? Is it waiting for, you know, is it's it waiting like for that a very difficulty? specific trigger, which is the total terminal difficulty, total difficulty. right? Okay. So total difficulty is the total amount of difficulty that's been used by the blockchain uh, or that's been, yeah, that's gone into like producing the hashes of each block, you know, uh, like in, in yeah. the entire blockchain history. Um, once Ethereum, like the proof of work chain hits that amount of like total expended hash power, uh, historically, like at that point, I guess you could think of it as a block number effectively. Right. But, um, Mm -hmm. say like it'll, it'll become apparent that like at block, whatever, that's when the beacon chain, like needs to start including Ethereum blocks too, as part of its like blockchain. Right. Okay. So that's we'll, when we'll, stakers will start making blocks. Okay, I see. And uh, okay, so functionally, 
I'm still not sure how that happens, right? Like, is there, you know, so right now there is the beacon chain and there are uh, validators, right, that are running the beacon chain and they are validating transactions that happen on the beacon ETH, right? Not on Ethereum main chain, but on this other like future beacon ETH kind of chain, right? Uh, once, yeah. um, once we get to a certain point, those validators will then start trans or validating transactions on main chain Ethereum that has, and the way that this is all tracked is through the chain ID. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, so Ethereum has chain ID one. Right. Okay. Um, so, so then it, 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 once that terminal di total terminal difficulty is reached, right? The chain ID one, instead of broadcasting out transactions to the miners who were, you know, who were running that hardware and securing the network for the ETH one chain, the proof of work ETH chain that's running right now, right? Instead of broadcasting transactions to that chain, they will then start broadcasting transactions to this other validator set, this proof of stake chain. Do I have that yeah, like so, semi right? Like, am I understanding that right? Like, I'm just trying to think as broadly as possible. Well, yeah, when you when you talk about broadcasting transactions, right? Uh, think mm -hmm. of it like your your wallet software. Like when you sign a transaction. Yeah, so that's exactly what I mean. Like at the very like smallest level, right? If I'm making mm -hmm. a transaction, and like I'm not a person who cares about total terminal difficulty or watches total terminal difficulty, or necessarily has ever thought about total terminal difficulty in my life. Like, what is going to happen with the wallet that I use and the transactions that I sign? They, when you sign a transaction, it goes to a node, right? Um, and that node broadcasts the transaction to the mempool. And mm. instead of it getting broadcast to the proof of work mempool, uh, it will get broadcast to the proof of stake mempool. And that'll all happen through the wallet that I'm using or the node that the wallet is connected yeah. to. So your wallet is probably talking to Infura, right? And yeah. Infura They're all will... talking to Infura, right? Most of them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and or Alchemy uh, or Pocket Network. But but really, it's like Infura. Um, I hope not Pocket, man. Pocket have had some issues with Pocket. <laughs> um, so when you, when you sign your transaction, um, it goes to like Alchemy's server. Uh, and then when the time to transition happens, uh, Alchemy will say, or, you know, Infura will say, hey, this transaction, make sure that this group of people knows about it. And these are like the, the block producers on the proof of stake chain, rather than saying, hey, make sure that this group of people knows about it. But for a little while, like right around the time of the fork or merge, like right around the time of the merge, they probably all will share a mempool. Otherwise, like anybody that tried to get a transaction in on the proof of work chain, like if they don't get it in the last proof of work block, then they have to like rebroadcast it into the proof of stake mempool. So my guess is these two groups will share a memory, a mempool for a while. And then they will share, how... they will cross communicate, right? Yeah, and how exactly is that going to happen? Is like every single company, like, you know, if I'm, uh, you know, Infura, 
or like if I'm MetaMask, let's say, right? If, am I going to have some kind of way to send transactions through to both the proof of work chain and then also to the proof of stake chain and kind of figure out a way to make sure every transaction actually funnels through that wants to get through eventually? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure the way it actually works in the code is something like, but well before the merge, the validators on the proof of stake chain start listening to the mempool, they start listening for blocks, right? Um, and all of the data from the proof of work network, right? Um, and then when it's time, they just start making blocks. The way to think about the merge is that the proof is that is that the validators on the proof of stake side, the stakers start making blocks. That it's like as simple as that. That's what happens during the merge. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm just trying to think through every element of like how exactly do they find out that now is the time to make blocks and like who is the yep. person that's telling them to do that and you know who are the parties involved so it sounds like it's really going to be the node operators right so the the folks like uh infura infura alchemy pocket and then also the uh anybody who's interacting with the node operators themselves right so, so if you think about like, like the Ethereum software exchanges right like you have your nodes and they're cross-communicating constantly about like here's the next block and then 15 seconds later someone else mines the next block and they're communicating the blocks, the state transitions, all of that to each other so that everybody can keep track of what blocks are, you know, of how the blocks chain together. Mm -hmm. um, that peer-to-peer -peer communication will be something that the, the proof of stake people are listening for. Uh, and the stakers, their software says, hey, by the way, if the last block you saw takes you over that threshold, start making blocks. Okay, okay, got it. And so, so every time, or start making Ethereum blocks, right? So every block of the um, of the beacon chain has a check for that, and it's like, yo, the last hash you saw, like, what was the total terminal difficulty? Does it hit the 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 threshold? And if so, start making blocks, right? Like, there should be Ethereum block here too, like if, if it's if that if that value is true, right? Um, and if not, then like, just leave it empty. Okay, I see. This is probably such a normie five minutes for you. You're like, dude. Shut the fuck up. This is like me going into the basics. It's really, really important to understand what the fuck actually happens. Like, it's very yeah. difficult to get that kind of content in the blockchain <laughs> world, right? Like, yeah, people you are don't just get like, it. Proof of stake, man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the merge, yeah, yeah. It uh, merges. The beacon chain and the main chain merge. And it's like, what the mm -hmm. fuck actually happens, right? Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. This is what actually happens, right? So, currently, everybody, it's a little bit like you're uh, you're playing soccer, right? Everybody comes together. Game hasn't started yet, right? You're passing, right? You're, or playing basketball, right? You're practicing your layups. You're warming up. Mm, They're warming we're up. In a layup right? line here. You're shooting layups, right? Uh, they don't actually like play like they're shooting on their own basket here, right? You can think of like attempts at the other basket as being Ethereum blocks. They haven't started that yet. Then the tip off happens, and everybody plays differently. Mm, okay. All right, I like that. Okay, that, so that, that was sense. No, that was good. That was like that's a good breakdown of how exactly we get to the first block, right? Because the the difficulty I was having is like not even understanding how the first block gets triggered. You know, it's like that. You know, we've all been waiting for years and years for that. Like the guy at the front of the, the beginning of the race to shoot the gun and be like, "All right, we're off." But it's like, 
how does that even happen? You know, like, is there just some magical, like, is Vitalik going to get into a Twitter spaces and be like, all right, guys, right, guys it's time it's for time. proof of stake, baby. <laughs> um, what, did, what do you think would happen if he did it tomorrow? <laughs> dude, I, look, man, he once had to go on and show up, show the Ethereum, like the latest yeah, block number on the cash. chain to show that he wasn't dead. And he called it proof of Vitalik. Um, so look, man, anything is possible. Um, okay, that was a um, great breakdown of like how we actually get to the first block. Yeah, now do you want to talk that, about what happened? All that in the first logic, block? all that logic is set now, right? Like, we're, like we're very mm -hmm. close to ready. Um, the thing is yeah. that we just have to change that threshold value, right? So currently, the threshold value is set so that we'll hit it somewhere in like two hundred years, right? Uh, and before the merge happens, there will be a hard fork to change that that like global parameter on the Ethereum blockchain to be so like, there's one no, more hard fork set before the merge. I think there's two. Um, oh, there's there's two, okay. one for like, yeah, uh, there's one to like tell the uh, there's one to tell the stakers that they should start listening to the main chain. And then there's oh, one right. to tell them here's what the total terminal difficulty is actually going to be. Um, and at that okay, point, that's when you start making blocks. And then at that point, it's just a countdown. And so that very last one, when we know exactly what total terminal difficulty we need to get to, that point mm -hmm. will tell us when the merge is actually going to happen. Like at that point, people will give us like a date, right? Or yeah. we'll, yeah. we'll kind of theoretically we'll have a date, right? Yeah. Yeah. So for okay. example, like right now, uh, like Gorley is set to merge, right? Uh, and it should go roughly tomorrow, right? Oh, is it tomorrow? Um, this, oh, no way. Yeah, You're joking. And, and yeah, yeah. And there's and there's this website which is pretty interesting where like mm -hmm. all it is is all it is is a chart of like here's where we are and here's where it's supposed to happen. And it's literally just a fucking like line because the difficulty just the total difficulty just increments linearly over time on you know well behaved test nets like Gurley. Um so uh I just saw this line. That's really funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, it says it's, it's the funniest website. We'll, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, it's just like a chart with a line. <laughs> but this uh, is what everybody checks. They're like, are we gonna people are zooming in on the line? Like <laughs> um yeah, okay. Well, what's going on with our Twitter spaces, bro? Are we still doing this? Absolutely. Um, you should We're definitely do a Twitter space. Kidding. <laughs> I, I just saw an article that says it should be in 48 hours. That should that was four hours ago. Um, so yeah, maybe okay, it'll so be like the next day. Yeah, Thursday, yeah. Well, yeah. We'll, we'll have maybe to check like the website Thursday with the line. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me, I'm I'm not familiar with lines at all, so I have to I have to check. But it should I, be I Thursday. It should be. I, <laughs> I only do uh, shapes, you know, more shapes, volume shape shapes. rotator. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Thursday, look out for Twitter Spaces. Um, if I happen to not be at work, you know, this is this is how you know, Brian. Um, <laughs> if you need me, so <laughs> come to my Twitter space. Come through, bro. <laughs> you know where to find me. Um, all right, I okay. should probably cut these parts of the podcast uh, going forward. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, okay, Matt, let's resistance. get back to the okay. merch. Let's get yeah, back to so the back to the merge. Let's so. go through a few things. I, I really, really think that the right way to think about this is like just let's take some scenarios, right? Because it, it'll it'll help to inform like you know, like you're everything's just gonna take my idea and pass it off as your examples. idea. 
Dude, yeah. that's so messed up. <laughs> wow. No, no. Um, I'm like, okay, I'm, let's I'm go a fan through of it. your idea. <laughs> let's go through it. Let's go through it. So block one right. happens, right? And if I am, if I'm like, let me just take me as the most normal person that's actually like possibly could be doing this stuff, right? Um, mm -hmm. Like I would go in fully blind, not knowing anything and actually be in these positions, right? So if I'm block one, right? Like, let's just say I'm holding some ETH, right? Like very simply, uh, let's walk through my whole portfolio and potential positions and, um, you know, potential situations I could be faced with, right? So yeah. let's say I'm just holding ETH. Like, what does the first block look like for me? Just holding ETH. I think this is a pretty straightforward one, right? Because, uh, like, what is even what does it even mean to hold ETH? It means you have the private keys to send that ETH, right? to do stuff with that ETH. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it, the private public key mapping on proof of work ETH and proof of stake ETH is exactly the same. And so you will own e equal amounts of ETH on both chains. So if that first version of Ethereum, the proof of work ETH exists and people continue to mine that and provide security for it, uh, have transactions on it, I have the rights to send Ethereum or ETH on that chain, right? Yep. That's Using a, the exact that's your, same private that key. Is, that is the only thing that the private key grants you is control over that public address, right? Okay. And like fundamentally, your right is the right to send that ETH. Everything and, else is just smart contracts, right? And if that ETH was on an exchange, right? There's a good chance I will not be able to send that ETH immediately it's or like i would say zero percent chance it's going to depend on the exchange first let's take the really simple case of you send eth right say you send some eth to me well this is okay. what i'm saying right In is, is if, if no but hold on so this is what i'm saying is if you have the eth on an exchange you might not be able to send it on block one It'll it'll vary depending on the exchange, but yeah, it'll uh, vary. But like, no exchange uh, has said like how I mean, they're going to deal why with wouldn't, that. Why wouldn't you be able to send it on block one? I mean, we're going to deal with situations later on where it's like block one might be kind of unusable for you, right? Uh, no, I think well, uh, this will depend on how the exchange has it implemented. So let's take. So I really think the, the I really change, think the sim hmm? on the proof of stake chain. You're saying block one will be usable for every like centralized exchange if you just want to send ETH? Not every centralized exchange. Like I'm sure some of them are going to be like, whoa, we don't know what's going on here. Sell it down, right? But I think a lot of them are going to be like, we know what's going on here. Don't sell it down. Like this is fine. Um, okay. Okay. There's so no reason it, block one would be any different from block two from block three, right? Okay, sure. Uh, so uh, here's the reason it might be different. Uh, I'll, I'll walk that back. The, the only reason it might be different is if the proof of work chain changes its chain ID. And I think it would be helpful to illustrate why that's important. So and how can that you, happen too? Also, how can that happen? Uh, so uh, if you have a, like, if you have one ETH on Ethereum before the merge, right? Now you have one proof of stake Ethereum and one proof of work Ethereum. When you sign a transaction to send that ETH to say me, um, if you're sending that ETH to me, uh, that transaction is a valid transaction on the proof of work ETH and on the proof of stake ETH, 
right? So um, say I'm feeling like kind of greedy and you agreed to send me one proof of stake ETH, but you didn't want to send me your proof of work ETH. Uh, I can replay that transaction for the proof of work people. In fact, I might not even need to because as we discussed, like they're probably listening to the same mempool at block minus one. So at block zero or block one or whatever, right? Like they're probably still cross communicating about pending transactions in the mempool. And this is what's called a replay attack. Yeah, this is what's called a replay attack. Uh, and so this becomes an issue because say I request some ETH from Coinbase and this is what you were getting at, right? Uh, say I request some ETH from Coinbase because I have it on my centralized exchange account and I want to send it to my wallet. Uh, I can then, so I'll get, say I request some ETH, some proof of stake ETH, right? Canonical ETH. Uh, I'll get that. Then I can replay that transaction and get the proof of work ETH associated with it, right? So I send one ETH from Coinbase to me on proof of stake. I can take that same transaction, replay it, get one proof of work ETH from Coinbase to me. Then I can send them a proof of stake ETH and do it again, right? Without sending them the proof of work ETH associated with it right Does that makes sense i think that makes sense yeah so you can basically do the same transaction over and over and yeah it will on actually any on any trend. fork of the of yeah. the blockchain so this okay. is why it's really crucial to change the chain id because yeah. if you do that then the signature you only sign a transaction for a given chain id right so and the chain uh, id I changing will also have to be a social consensus Right. Yeah, uh, it'll have okay. to be something that all of the miners come together the same way any other hard fork goes through. So, okay, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see that happen, or even for the miners collectively to come to an agreement that like, whoa, 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 whoa. Actually, when proof of stake ETH starts, we're gonna turn everything off and turn it back on with a new chain ID. Mm, okay. And then on MetaMask, okay. you'll have to change your network, right? Because currently there would be no difference on MetaMask between ETH proof of stake and ETH proof of work. This is what I, this is kind of what I mean by like chain or not chain, but like uh, block one might be a little bit unusable. You know, like I just think that there will be there just be so much chaos that there'll be some centralized exchange. Dude, I don't know, man. Have you seen what's happened the last six months? <laughs> There's a lot of uh, players who don't know what the fuck they're doing and that is 100 true might but they figured it out for your classic right um and uh i i mean many okay, what of do you them mean by that for the classic right like, like back in the day you're saying when that back first in the day, fork happened? yeah etc yeah, yeah. yeah like that was uh, a pretty messy fork too wasn't it yeah for sure i mean i don't think everyone's gonna get it figured out right but I, but i do think the coinbase will implement like replay protection i think that yeah. the i think that I the proof I, of work miners are going to implement replay protection and interestingly I think they might even change the chain ID before the merge happens. So that's so that's kind of what I think is all this leading to is that you know we'll, we'll play through all these scenarios and like we can talk through all of them for sure. But it's it's such an interesting illustration of how much this all is such a is just a social consensus where like you Fully. think a couple of these things through, people come to the conclusions that they want to come to. They talk through them and then everybody just agrees. It's like just one of those either agree or, you know, sometimes disagree and move on. Um, the the issue but, with changing the chain ID, though, before the merge is that anybody that mines that, uh, you know, anybody that mines that blockchain with a different chain ID risks not getting paid for it. 
right? Like it, it has to kind of be the exchanges that push for that, right? That push for a canonical a new chain ID for ETH proof of work, right? Yeah, yeah, um, that's true. And they kind of don't really have an incentive to. Um, I think, yeah, I think for the centralized exchanges, you know, some of them will definitely take the route of saying, don't make any, you can't make any transactions for the first few blocks until we sort shit out. Just because we're like, we're not, we don't have our shit in order. Um, yeah. Anyways, I think that's right? like, uh, what, what's one of the less interesting things to touch on? Um, so yeah, if you just sure. have ETH, if you just have ETH, you have the ability to now spend it or, you know, sign a transaction that sends your ETH out of your wallet using your private key on both chains. Right. Yep. That's what you have if you just hold ETH. What's the next scenario that you want to talk about? If you had, let's say, taken your ETH, put it into Maker, Maker's contract, right? Collateralized. Maker is something that lets you basically take loans against your crypto assets and mint their native stablecoin called DAI, right? So let's say you had done that. You had uh, collateralized your ETH, put in, let's just make it easy. You put in Sorry, one I ETH. Grab, I have to grab my charger. Yeah. Can you, you can keep going though. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So on. yeah, let's, let's like, I'll just play through an example here that I, I think would definitely be relevant to most people. Right. So like, let's say, let's take the example of maker first maker. You put in one ETH and you take out a loan of die for a half ETH. So in this situation, what happens is that your ETH is collateralized and it's locked into a contract, a smart contract on Ethereum deployed on chain where the maker contract holds that ETH in the contract and you can't touch it. You can't do anything with it. It's just there. It's as if it was, um, I don't know, basically like put into the way they, they describe them. They're literally called vaults, right? So it's put into a vault. And then what happens is your wallet, that same wallet that you deposited the, uh, or, you know, you sent the ETH from that wallet then receives a certain amount of die. In the case of ETH, I think the loan to value ratio is what they call it is like 50%. So you can take a loan of, of half of the value of the collateral that you put in. So if you put in one ETH, you can take a half ETH Point worth of die and okay. die is uh, worth one USD. So, uh, the, you know, they have a whole system of how that's collateralized. We won't get into that because it's very complicated, but that's kind of the mechanism of maker and the scenario of if you had actually taken a uh, loan in maker and now you have a position of a half ETH worth of die, let's say you have, let's say you did this at the, you know, at, at a decent price, like around now, right? So ETH was worth, let's say 1500 at the time you took a loan worth $750 at that time. Now you have 750 die in your wallet you had one ETH, but it's in the maker contract, right? Now, block one happens. What position are you in, right? What happens to the die that you hold, both on the new chain, on the old chain? What happens to the ETH collateral that you held or hold 
on the old chain, on the new chain. So there are four parts to that, right? There's your collateral on the old chain. There's your collateral on the new chain. There's your position on the old chain and your position on the new chain, right? So, Matt, I ask you, what the fuck do I do? Where am I right um, now? <laughs> how did I get here? Um, so on the proof of stake chain, the primary, like th this is really easy, right? Everything mm -hmm. works as intended. Same you still position, have a loan against right? your ETH. You got okay. 750 die. You got mm -hmm. one ETH. Mm -hmm. That's it. And it's over collateralized there... because ETH is now at 1800 instead of 1500. So you're comfy. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, unless it goes down to 1500 or whatever, you're not going to get liquidated. Okay. So, uh, is there Proof any of kind chain. of, hold on. Is there any kind of, um, you know, cause die is a truly decentralized stable coin, right? So, uh, truly decentralized in the sense that it's, a, it's just a smart contract that's been deployed. It's different than USDC or USDT in that there is no redemption mechanism where you talk to a company and you say, Hey, here is all that stable coin. Give me some actual fiat, right? It's a stable coin that works just on the digital asset ecosystem. There's no party that's going to redeem that stable coin and give you fiat back. Kind of right. Yes, that, that, that's all correct, but it's still quite centralized in the sense of it requires a centralized Oracle. Right, mm, it requires okay. Chainlink to continue to tell it how much, how many die it can mint per ETH. Okay, and um, Chainlink hasn't said anything about plans to like support, e you know, a proof of work ETH. Right. Let's explain that real quick. Right. So, uh, for us to for the situation that we just described, right, where I said fifteen hundred bucks was the price of ETH when I took out that loan. 750 die is the amount that I took. There's some kind of liquidation price for that, right? When the smart contract says, hey, the price of ETH is so low that we're scared that this ETH at some point might not be able to pay back the amount of stable coin that this person took out. So we now, as a, the, we meaning the smart contract, needs to connect with some other smart contract, maybe like the Uniswap pool, or I don't know how uh, Maker's uh, liquidation engine works, right? But they then mm. sell that collateral and they recover the, uh, you know, 750 die. And if there's anything left, it gets returned to your wallet, but then you're clean of your position, right? So yeah. um, that is how like Maker resolves any kind of price fluctuations. But to do that, and to also be able to make loans and to figure out how much stable coin can be minted against a certain amount of collateral, it needs to actually find how much that collateral is worth in USD terms. And so it needs to gauge that from some marketplace, some centralized order book or some market, um, you know, or some uh, aggregation of different marketplaces, ideally, right? Yeah. And so the way that it does that is an oracle. Uh, an Oracle basically just provides data. Like, I, I guess, the, what is the best way to even describe an Oracle? It's just something that provides Oracle provides data truthful about information. the off-chain world to the blockchain mm -hmm. so that smart okay. contracts can use it as a reference point uh, that refers to the outside world. And uh, most every smart contract Oracle, uses chain. Right. 
uh, yeah, pretty much everybody uses Chainlink, right? There's mm-hmm. UMAs, Optimistic, Oracle, whatever the fuck that means. Uh, but but Chainlink is basically Chainlink the go-to is, Oracle is the, the only one. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's okay. a, it's the Bloomberg of Oracles, right? Uh, it's the price feed provider for every smart contract. I'm the guy with um, the ape, dude. I don't know what Chainlink or uh, meaning what Bloomberg, or Chainlink what being is. the Bloomberg of Oracles <laughs> means. <Yeah. laughs> so, um, so like, look, like Chainlink is really important for pretty much every, for uh, at the yeah. very least, for every borrow lend platform, right? Uh, but also you know you could imagine all sorts of other use cases gambling platforms right like if you have on-chain gambling you need someone to provide some data about like how whatever game actually got resolved right whether you know in like the ethereum white paper even like they i I, maybe it was the white paper maybe it was like one of the early documentations like they talked about futures contracts that rely on things like weather or things like commodity pricing none of that is on chain like none of those are are natively on-chain objects and so you need an Oracle to provide any information about the off-chain world to the chain needs to go through an Oracle. Um, Chainlink hasn't said anything about plans to support or not support proof of work ETH, which is really important, right? Because um, because the way that your uh, like maker position plays out on one chain versus the other is really, really different. Or in one, so, one state of the world versus the other is really, really different. So say yeah. Chainlink never updates their price for ETH again. We don't know what the value, valid price of proof-of-work ETH is going to be, but we know it's going to be lower than than pre-merge ETH. Just Right now the market is in, pricing it at 5%. Uh, 5%, 5% of the but, value. But like, even just like fundamentally, like it's two things now. Each one should be a little bit smaller than the things combined. One yeah, yeah, ago. sure. Right. right. Um, um, but yeah, okay, so... 5% roughly, right? So uh, so here's where you wind up in that world. Not just like first for your position, right? You got to get your ETH out, <laughs> right? Uh, because nobody's about to buy, like nobody's about to pay 1500 a price of 1500 die to get your ETH out right? Um, people are going to like, first, all of the stable coins are going to go to zero, right? USDT, USDC, they're not being supported by Tether or Circle anymore, which means that instantly all of the DAI exits curve, right? Uh, so you can no longer, you can no longer get DAI out of curve. Then people are going to start taking that DAI and bidding on any liquidation they can possibly get, except that you can't get liquidated, right? Because there's no price Oracle updates. So if the Oracle never updates, your position is actually pretty fucking safe on um, on proof the of first work. Chain. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Because you, there's no chance of getting liquidated. Yeah. So maybe what you That's do is swap concept. it for ETH. Right. Mm. Maybe okay, what you wait, do is let's as soon as to... possible. You're, yeah. We won't go into advice yet, but we'll go into like, you're pretty safe. Right. Is mm-hmm. the idea. Uh, yeah wait but, hold on hold on so let's stick mm-hmm. just just to the oracle for one second right so you mentioned something that's really crucial which is if the price on the first chain doesn't update right and that's what i think everybody's expecting to happen yeah you right the, the stop the prices don't update on the first chain but yep can we do a quick like 20 seconds on chain link and how it's actually functioning 
to the point where the chain link validators or whoever the chain link operators are come to the conclusion and i'm sure it's just a social consensus like everything else but how they come to the conclusion of um look we are going to only support operations on the proof of stake chain and not the proof of work chain i mean it just is the default for everybody like the, wait, okay for on. everybody what in is the, the world is to what just is default? support proof of stake for supporting proof That's... of stake is the default right you don't say anything it's assumed you're not going to support proof of work uh, right i mean i'm saying like actually like functionally from chain link right like do they have like a group of like 50 validators or something that like run the chain link software and they all like verify or they're all like oracles and that provide the off-chain data and what a certain certain amount yeah it's it's like know, similar to, to like it's a similar like chain id driven thing right so like when Chainlink adds support for a chain like it, it goes based on chain id so you might be a, a an oracle provider that checks the price of eth usdc on coinbase or whatever and you're signing a transaction every block or whatever that says this is what i attest the price is um and uh, there's like tokenomics that are set up so that like the oracles are honest, uh, is the idea. Uh, and they're each like signing the transactions like, yo, this is what I see. Right? So basically all of them are going to move to proof of stake or all of them need to move to proof of stake or regardless of that fact, they've all agreed, or that's kind of just the social consensus at this point that they it's all are the going consensus. to go there. Like, yeah. yeah okay. Um, and the, and so the is bigger that just issue, something that's the not worrying issue here revolves around the link token, right? And like when you're a validator or not a validator, when you're an Oracle data provider, you're getting paid in link to provide that data. Mm. And the link token can't just like double in supply, right? Nobody's cool with that. And so it Why has not? to be, um well, it can, it can no, no. and it will it can and it will listen i'm gonna say it one more time it can and it will okay but like nobody's gonna pay you for the oh, eth proof man. of work one uh yeah. uh that that's the issue right <laughs> yes it fucking yes. can and it will so okay there's gonna be one, double the link yeah. <laughs> if you clip. thought if you thought link Fully diluted valuation couldn't go down anymore or couldn't go up anymore. You just fucking wait. <laughs> wait. Oh, talk about a happening. This is a doubling. This is doubling for every for supply for everything. Dude, this is this is the this is the thing here. Here. Let's okay. let's let's pause for one second. Anybody who thought they were like ahead of the curve here, like, oh, look, I have like all these positions open where I'm like levered long these assets and like, yo, I'm, you know, I have all these different tokens just sitting in my wallet. I'm going to farm all these different, you know, airdrops. Like exactly what my man just said. There will be double of everything. There will be double of everything. And it will, the both of them combined will probably be worth less than what it is worth right now. That's my guess. Just be careful. Just be careful out there. Um, so <laughs> let's <laughs> let's let's move on. <laughs> let's move on a little bit as to yeah. why exactly we expect all of this stuff to go to zero. Like, um, you know, like we're talking about holding these different kinds of positions. We're talking about opening up 
uh, you know, positions using, uh, you know, collateral on different platforms and like having stable coins, you know, that are collateralized by different assets. Um, why exactly is it all going to zero? Like, can you, can you explain that for one second? Um, yeah. Um, so I think like, look, like USDC and USDT are the easiest ones to explain here. Uh, because for every USDC in existence, there's one US dollar sitting in Circle's account. Mm-hmm. Purportedly, that's the same case for Tether with USDT. Mm-hmm. You can't. So does it all start with stable coins? Does it all start with yeah. stable coins? Okay. Yeah, I would. I would argue like the, uh, even psychologically, it all starts with stable coins, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because then, the ETH, right? You could make an argument that ETH, even if it's worth five percent of the market cap, ETH is still ETH, right? One ETH is one ETH. If you make that argument, right? I'm not making that argument. I'm just saying that you could make that argument. You could say that one ETH is one ETH, and the people that believe in the ETH proof of work, right? To them, one ETH is still one ETH, and you can still transact. You can still do the same things with Ethereum, the chain, using ETH, right? The native asset. Right. Yeah. True. But there's reasons why other things truly should be worth zero. Right. And so you're saying it starts Stab- with stable stables. Coins. Stables should be worth zero. That, stables should that's be worth zero. Like, and that's the there's a couple, case to make here. Yeah. And there's a couple announcements that we've heard recently. Right. So Circle, USDC's creator issuer, has said that they will only support the proof of stake chain. Tether has said the exact same thing. So. The two biggest stable coins by far, everything else is just irrelevant. Like we spent like 25 minutes on DAI or whatever we just did. And DAI is like maybe 1% of the market. Like it's just so irrelevant. Um, yeah. These are the two stable coins. DAI, okay, it's not irrelevant. It's not irrelevant. It's very relevant in the sense that it's the only one that actually runs on only smart contracts. Uh, it is still centralized in other ways. Like you mentioned, you mentioned those things earlier, but well, it is da- still DAI the one that- zero too. Is my is the problem, right? So this is the thing. Can we touch on why Dai goes to zero? Yeah, Dai goes to zero because you can buy ETH proof of work ETH for 0.05, and you can mint Dai at the old price for and which was, you... like so the old price was fifteen hundred. If the Oracle doesn't get updated, you can buy Dai at five. You can buy proof of work ETH at five percent the cost of proof of stake ETH. You can still you can mint twenty times as much die. So maybe die doesn't go to zero, but it definitely goes to like 0.05. So then you can mint twenty times as much die. You can drain all of the yeah. pools in Uniswap of the actual ETH, the ETH versus die pool, right? You can drain all the ETH and just put in all your die, and then yeah. take all the ETH out, right? Okay. Yeah, that, that's so the it idea. sounds okay. So that kind of is a good lead in to the next thing, which is Uniswap, right? There are a lot of <laughs> there are a lot of these pools, right? The way Uniswap works is it works on these, um, you know, these pools, right? These liquidity pools where people provide liquidity, they provide equal amounts of both assets. And um, if one asset's going to zero, the other asset kind of by definition has to go to infinity. Right, which uh, one of, means one, wait. <laughs> um, okay, so the the price of an asset. No, that's not in, how it works. <laughs> the price of an asset in Uniswap. Um, <laughs> yeah, I need another beer. Uh, um, <laughs> the 
price of an asset um, in Uniswap is determined by the the ratio of the two assets in the Uniswap. X Y equals K. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. X times Y equals K. Uh, and uh, and so the idea is, uh, in order to get that last bit of sweet sweet proof of work ETH out of the proof of work ETH USDC pool, you got to spend a lot of USDC. Except it turns out USDC is worth zero now. So you can probably get it on the cheap somewhere, right? Like you can probably liquidate someone's position in Maker, right? Or Ave or whatever. And like, you know, get as much USDC out as you could possibly ever want in exchange for like a little bit of ETH or whatever, right? So you just have to start from the baseline assumption that USDC and USDT are worth zero and people are going to dump as much as they possibly can into as many DeFi pools into as many Uniswap pools as possible and take out as much ETH as they can. Because I think you can really only make the case here, like, look, fundamental principles, right? Proof of work ETH has value. Why? Because proof of work ETH allows you to transact on the proof of work ETH blockchain to pay gas, right? Like okay. this is this is like a strong reason that a strong case that you can make that it has as to why it has value. Right. Yeah, yeah. But also because it's like the biggest asset, it's the it's the canonical asset, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then um, everything else has to follow from there. The stablecoins have no value, so anybody that has stablecoins that's smart about it is going to be putting stablecoins in the pool, taking ETH out. Right. That mm. just is what it is. Look, this yeah, is yeah. this is per- this is an impermanent loss. But it's as permanent as it could possibly get because USDC on on ETH one or any proof of work ETH is never going to have value. They, they've even come out and said it, right? So okay, so this sounds like a death spiral scenario for ETH. Actually, for like you, well, every asset for sure, every asset but but ETH for sure. But it sounds like even for ETH because every you know every trade, it sounds like you're going to exchange all these assets that are going to zero for ETH proof of work. And then you're going to trade the ETH proof of work immediately for, you know, whatever you can trade it for on a centralized exchange, right? Because for this to sustain any value, it's going to need true believers who buy the native ETH on chain, like ETH proof of work, you know, like you actually have to have bid, right? Like there's going to be so many people that trade all of their worthless assets for ETH and they just hold it and they're going to want to sell and recover, you know, they're going to they're going to do exactly what we just said. They're going to airdrop farm, right? Where's that bid coming from? This sounds like a debt spiral to me. I mean, where's the bid for Bitcoin cash? There is a bid for Bitcoin cash. It's Roger Ver and Jihan Wu, dude. They had Bitmain, which is one of the biggest companies in the, in the whole space, billions and billions of dollars bidding on it for years. And it went to good, close to zero. Um, like this. I mean, it's is unclear. Like, it's still who's, like it's still fully on it's still fully unclear if someone's going to step in and bid this or not, right? But hmm. at okay, the very least, through. what you can say is it's worth more than nothing. I'm still trying to. I'm still trying to goes, reason you that. You think it's actually worth zero? I think I'll like, buy. I don't know. You I'll buy all your weeks. ETH. I'll buy all the ETH. All the proof of work ETH you want. At a price of zero, then go away. <laughs> Isn't that what Sam said? <laughs> no, he said then fuck Look, off. 
Then fuck him. Uh, <laughs> I'm a little nicer than him, I uh, guess. Uh, that's that's why I'm here and he's there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. true. Um, uh, look, like I think it's got it's got to be worth more than zero, and you really can't make that case for anything else. Look, here's the issue with governance tokens. Governance tokens are supposed to be used to participate in governance, and you can't use you know, link V proof of work link or proof of work Ave or proof of work uni or proof of work sushi to vote in governance. They're not going to, um, they're, they're not going to accept that as a valid ownership of the governance rights. Uh, like when you look at like multi-chain governance, like it's complicated, but really the cleanest way of executing it is that like only one chain's governance tokens count. Yeah, Absolutely. I, I just think and, that and even when it's multi-chain, like it's not like they're getting multiplied, right? It's not like you get double the Ave tokens when they when they start allowing Ave through Wormhole to go on Solana. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, right. They're just not. They're just just straight up not going to allow people to vote on governance from proof of work ETH, and that is what a governance token gets you. So, mm. uh, like governance tokens go to zero. Stable coins go to zero. That goes to zero because you can mint or it goes to 0.05, right? Uh, uh, like ETH goes to 0.05. Everything ETH else goes to at, zero. Yeah, ETH is at 0.05. Uniswap LPing, can we just talk for one quick second and then I'll and then we'll move on. Mm-hmm. You're wrecked, but as always. And you know what? There's gonna be people that look at the Uniswap website. And it's going to look like the APYs are fucking sick, right? Because the volumes, <laughs> the volumes are going to be insane. And this is how they compute it, right? They look at like the, the trailing seven day volume. Like, wow, dude, <laughs> if you measure it in proof of work, USDC, my, my APY is a gazillion percent, man. And that will be like the bang, not in a bang, but a whimper end of end of USDC on proof of work. Eve. If anybody actually got excited by what Matt just said, please look into Snow Dog and uh, let's just move on, please. It's too close to LPing home. Is, LPing uh, is always about a Dion Chin. Honestly, LPing, like, you don't want to do that. On you average, you lose that. money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah um all right okay so we were gonna hit ave but it sounds like ave is very close to um maker in you know, most I've, of its functions like way way but, more complicated right yeah. because they have poor yeah, yeah. collateral right i'm i'm not even fully sure what's gonna happen on ave yet but i do know that there's like pretty easy ways to make money here right okay um and basically what they're gonna wind up being is like everyone's just gonna drain the ETH out of the Ave, like out so of the Ave like, like, uh, vault. Right? Let's start. Yeah, like, let's start with our fundamental premise, which was that only ETH proof of work has any value, right? So your play here is to just unwind every position in every Ave contract that nets you more ETH proof of work, right? Yeah, that's the idea is like net your goal here is get more proof of work ETH with any Mm -hmm. other asset and with the Mm. cheapest asset possible for you to acquire. So, for example, USDC, right? You start with USDC in your wallet and you swap it for ETH on Uniswap until Uniswap's like uh, vault is drained, right? Mm -hmm. What do you do next? You deposit your USDC to Aave. You borrow ETH. And you can, you know, at least get 70% of the old price that way, 
right? So the first trade on Uniswap will get you 100% of the old price, right? Because the, the pool the pool's balanced at the old price. And then someone's going to come in probably first block or two with a lot of USDC or like a bunch of people are going to come in and maybe 10 blocks in the price of the value of USDC, or at least according to that Uniswap pool, is way, way lower. At that point, it'll be more profitable to switch to Aave and start taking out loans of 50 to 70% of the old value, right? So this is assuming that like USDC gets you some amount of ETH that like, you know, maybe 1500 USDC gets you an ETH, right? Uh, and, you know, uh, you can take out, say, 50% of like LTV before the oracles start updating. So that'll mm. probably be like the next the next one to get hit, right? Is like over here you can get 1500 to one. Over here you can only get 750 to one, but like still better than 700. So as this thing goes down in the amount of ETH you can get out for USDC, this is going to be the, the pool to hit. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. It's, it's like just moving like on from the like continuation the of the unwind. The little bank, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, interesting. Huh. Okay, so what other parts of this DeFi space are going to get hit? Uh, I think twos, we man. talked about layer twos are yeah. fucked. Layer twos are so fucked, right? Because there's no fucking that? way. There's no way optimism is gonna let you withdraw your your ETH proof of work ETH. Oh yeah. Okay. So if you have your ETH in optimism you cannot withdraw that to the proof of work chain you're gonna to have to withdraw it to the proof of stake chain then figure yeah. out a way to convert that to any other asset that you can then convert to proof of work ETH. yes and no right because they're i mean that's a way to buy proof of work ETH, right but like it's really just like you have say you have an eth say you have one eth and you send it to optimism after the fork, they're only going to let you withdraw that one ETH to the proof of stake chain. You've effectively to tossed all of your rights yeah. to proof of work. Okay, I see. There. Yeah. Okay, I see. So basically, don't have your assets on a layer two during that. Don't time. have your assets on a layer two during during the merge. Yeah, uh, I mean, if you want to, if you're trying to, if you're trying to farm this, right? One uh, question. And people on are going to chime in. Yeah, go ahead. Maybe when you, when are what are what is the snapshot period for all this? You know, the block before just the block before right okay i mean it depends on you look we might see we might it's a social consensus right the minor the mining community might be like oh 10 blocks before <laughs> right uh, who knows right like it's gonna be a social consensus but you know the the working assumption should be the block before get your shit off of optimism <laughs> i mean it'd be interesting to see if tbl goes lower right like this isn't like a this is a substantial amount of value five percent is pretty fucking big i've seen people yeah. in crypto like elbow each other for a lot less right oh yeah mm -hmm. i mean it's a fucking look it's like a year's worth of stake reward right <laughs> like of course oh, it's you absolutely want that. not nothing yeah, yeah. <laughs> right oh, yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> um so you know uh yeah you want to get your assets off of optimism people are going to chime in they're going to say matt optimism allows you to permissionlessly withdraw your assets at any time not true so get your shit off of optimism because if you're trying to permissionlessly withdraw your assets at any time to the proof of work chain, you're going to get fucked. So there you go. Matt, just uh, always continuing to hate and shit on optimism. 
If anyone, I'll, on optimism, I'll, stop, I'll stop when they stop lying. <laughs> if anyone from Optimism uh, wants to come on and chat with us and get completely obliterated by Matt in a nice 45-minute chat, I'll host. And you can uh, come to our studio. And uh, cheers to this you. This sounds fun. Yeah, uh, let's do it. Okay, I'll be Matt. nice. I'll be nice, I promise. Uh, nicer than SBF. Um, okay. <laughs> Is there anything else like DeFi related that we should hit? Um, um, I think most I mean, here, like, yeah, I think we've hit the major categories, right? We've got the, we got the AMMs, right? We got the, uh, you know, the barrel end, uh, we've got the stables and we've got the synthetic stables. Uh, I would be super interested to learn more about something like Squeeth or like, you know, open, uh, or any of these like options protocols to understand like sort of how they're going to handle the the change here uh wish I could we'll tell look you. into that we'll look into that for we'll the reach next out part. to them yeah all right well this has been part three of our deep dive on the merge uh in fact i don't think we can call it part three this is just like chapter three of our uh novella or our, just our uh our book here on yeah. the merge uh we'll be <laughs> back later this week with a recap of everything that happened Till then, stay decent. So, uh, none of this was financial advice, legal advice, investment advice, or any other kind of advice. Uh, if you're looking for advice, you are definitely in the wrong place. Uh, until next time, stay decent. <laughs>